Well, we are indeed thankful to have uh, Reverend Della Plain here uh, and come and bring us the Word of God. So I ask you to remain standing as, as he comes now. Thank you. Please open your Bibles to Philippians, the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I consider a great honor to be here with the saints at Vero Beach and uh, especially happy with this opportunity to share from the Word of God. Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11. This is the Word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we come before you thanking you and praising you for your word, for your son, and for your spirit. We pray, O Lord, that you would use this word, this reading, and now this preaching of your word to teach us that we might know more and more about you, that we might know more and more about how we are to live our lives as your children. Guide and lead us, open our hearts, O Lord, that we may be richly blessed and you would be glorified. This we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Is your life a life of joy? Is your life a life of joy regardless of your circumstances? This is the theme of the book of Philippians, joy. Over and over again, Paul talks to the Philippians about his joy and the joy that they should have as followers of Jesus Christ. He tells them in chapter 2, verse 18, likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. In 3.1, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Over and over again, he tells them, rejoice in Christ Jesus. Our lives are to be lives of joy. And then in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Always? Can we honestly say that our lives are lives of joy always? Even as I thought about coming here and preaching before you all, 
I start to get stressed and nervous, and I'm reminded, what am I preaching on? <laughs> Joy. We, there's so many things in our lives, so many circumstances that we allow the joy to just be sucked right out of us. Our joy gets stolen from us through our circumstances. But we are to rejoice relentlessly, nonstop, day after day, regardless of our circumstances. Now think about the author of this letter, Paul. Where was he when he wrote to the Philippians? He was in prison. He was chained up. Four years or more before, he had been taken by the the Roman guards in Jerusalem. And two years, he had been incarcerated in Israel. And then he traveled to Rome, and he spent another two years there. Four years or more as a prisoner. And what does he speak on? He speaks of joy and of rejoicing, regardless of our circumstances. He knew what he was talking about. Ten years prior to writing this letter, he was in Philippi with these very people. They remembered. Many of them had been baptized by him. They had heard him preach. And they remember the day that the The town people of Philippi took him. They ripped his clothes off of him. They beat him with rods. They threw him in jail, put him in stocks. And how did Paul respond? Singing praises. Even in the midst of those circumstances, he was able to find joy in his God. We are to rejoice relentlessly, nonstop, as children of God, as followers of Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes to the Philippians and tells them, rejoice nonstop, rejoice relentlessly. And he tells us today to do the same. And he gives us three reasons to do so. First, he says, rejoice relentlessly because of the foundation, the foundation of our gospel Lord. Now, I told you that this letter to the Philippians was primarily about joy. That's that's mostly true. You see, joy does show up 16 times. The word joy or rejoice 16 times. But 37 times we find the word Jesus or Christ or Lord. You see, this book of Philippians, like every book in the Bible, is first and foremost about our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the foundation upon which we must stand. Philippians 1, Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Servants. Now, if you're reading the English Standard Version, you'll see a little number one by servants. And if you look down at the bottom of the page, it will say, or slaves, or slaves. You see, the translators had difficulty here because we have such a negative connotation of masters regarding slaves. When we think of slaves and masters, we think of abusive masters. And there's no way we want to put in anybody's mind this idea of an abusive master when we speak of Jesus Christ. So we use this word servants. 
unfortunately, we miss something when we use this translation servants as well. You see, a servant can be a hired servant, but a slave is purchased. And we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, both servants and slaves work for somebody else, but a slave has been bought. He is the property of his master. And in our case, we are property of our master. Now, there's always somebody that's thinking, well, I don't want to be the slave of anybody. You know, I got news for you. You're going to be the slave of something, of somebody. You're either going to be the slave of sin and the world and the devil, or you're going to be a slave of Jesus Christ. There's no two ways around it. Jesus, through his sacrifice upon the cross and his blood, has purchased us. So we can have joy in the midst of our circumstances, remembering where we were at and where we are now. We belong to Jesus Christ. We have a benevolent Lord. That is something to rejoice about. But Paul goes on. He says, To the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Now notice he doesn't write and say, To the Philippians. Their identity is not first and foremost in the city that they live in. He says, to the saints in Philippi, basically to the church, because he mentions the deacons and the elders, to the saints. Now, unfortunately, many times when we think saints, we think of, like, perfection. People have already arrived. They're perfect. And that's not the case. Saints, or holy, means set apart. Not to be confused with set aside. You know, you set something aside, you push it off to one side, right? Set apart is something that has been given a special purpose. We have been set apart unto the Lord through Jesus Christ. So, for example, Moses had incense made to be used in the tabernacle in Exodus 30. Now, when he had the incense being prepared, it wasn't holy. It wasn't at that point in time set apart. And then he had it brought before him and it was declared holy. Did it change? Like, did it chemically change? Did its substance change? Did it smell different? No, it was the same. So what made it holy? Well, now it had been declared holy, set apart, for the use of God, and our lives are the same. You see, in, Lord Je- in our Lord Jesus, you and I have been set apart. Now, whether you're changing diapers, going to school, at work, our work is unto the Lord. Everything we do has special purpose. We give glory and honor unto God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. What an incredible privilege. That is another reason to rejoice. Because we have been set apart, we have been made saints in Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't stop there. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace 
just means unmerited favor. We have received something we did not deserve. And peace. Peace. We were at war with God. With every sin, was it, every sin we committed was a declaration of war against God Almighty. But we received something we did not deserve. Grace. We received, through Christ's purchase upon the cross, peace with God. We are no longer his enemies. Now we are his children. Another reason to rejoice nonstop, day after day. Because of this grace and peace that we have received. First and foremost, we are to rejoice relentlessly because we have been purchased by the blood of Christ. Because we have been set apart for the use of God Almighty. And because we have been saved and made his children. We are to have joy because the one who does all this for us is so much greater than any of our circumstances. He's so much greater than any of our circumstances. Unfortunately, what happens is we allow our circumstances to become greater than our Lord. They get blown out of proportion. But you know what? We're not the only ones. There's a prophet in the Old Testament named Habakkuk. If you'd like, you can flip over to Habakkuk 3. Habakkuk, he heard from God one day. God told him, Habakkuk, I'm sending the Chaldeans to go punish the Jews. Chaldeans is another word for Babylonians. I'm sending the Babylonians to punish the Jews. Habakkuk was distraught. His heart was broken. He thought, Lord, how could this be? They are way worse than we are. How can you send these people to punish us? I'm telling you, at that moment, that guy had no joy. It was gone. God decided to have a little talk with Habakkuk. And in a nutshell, God told Habakkuk, Habakkuk, your focus is in the wrong place. You're looking at your circumstances. You're not looking at the source of your salvation. You're not rejoicing in the source of your salvation. Habakkuk heard, he listened, he understood. And in Habakkuk 3.17, this is Habakkuk's response to the Lord. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Let me put that in modern lingo, since most of us don't have herd and flocks and olive trees. This would be like saying, even though I just lost my job, the bank is coming to take my house, and I've got some serious health issues. Even though the circumstances are really against me. Verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. His pri- Did his circumstances change? No. But his priorities did. He saw God. He saw the source of of his salvation as so much greater than his circumstances. And we are to do the same. 
We are to have joy in the midst of our circumstances. We're not denying our circumstances. We're not pretending they don't exist. We are just recognizing that we have a Lord and God who understands them. And we rejoice. If you do not know Jesus, if you do not walk with the Lord, then you cannot know this joy. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Search with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Come and talk to me after the services. Talk to one of the the members of this church after the services. But know God through Jesus Christ. And if you are already a believer, but your circumstances have been so much greater than your Lord, then we need to repent. We need to repent for allowing those circumstances to overshadow the greatness of our Lord, Jesus Christ. We have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. We belong to him. We have been set apart for holy work. We have been saved and made as children. We have reason to rejoice day after day, to rejoice relentlessly. But if Jesus is truly our Lord and Master, that means we are not to be idle because masters are to be served. And so we are to, number two, we are to rejoice relentlessly because of the fruit of gospel labor. We are to rejoice relentlessly because of the fruit of our gospel labor. In verses 3 and 4, back in our text in Philippians The apostle writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Joy. Why why is he looking at them and remembering them in joy? We continue in verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This partnership in the gospel, they were working with him together with the gospel. Now, partnership is much more than fellowship. Fellowship is very important in the body of believers. It's important that we get to know one another and spend time with one another. But this word that Paul's using here, koinonia in Greek, it means more than fellowship. It means more than just... Paul's not saying, I I rejoice because the times that we spent drinking coffee in Panera and the breakfasts that we had at McDonald's. Hey, those are great. Those are wonderful, and they are important. But what he's talking about, this type of partnership is a working together. It's a business term. What were they working in? In the gospel. And he continues this theme in verse 7. In verse 7, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. They partook with him in imprisonment. They sent him finances to help him in prison. But also, look, they partook with him in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. 
They were defending the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with Paul. And there's joy in that. There's joy in doing the work to which we have been called. There's also a danger. There's a danger here. Some people can be doing the work of the Lord and think, you know what? I'm good with God because I'm doing the work. And so Paul reminds them, I love what he does here. In verse 5, he's telling them about the work that they they are doing. And in verse 7, he talks about this work that they're doing. And then right between the two, he reminds them that God's also doing a work within them. He says in verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He reminds them of that sure foundation upon our Lord Jesus Christ. So this fruit of work that we are to do and the joy that we find in it is not the foundation. There is a difference between the two. But we are still to find joy in this type of work. It would be like being hired by the world's greatest company. Let's say there was a company today that everyone just knew. This was the world's most wonderful company to work in. Great salaries, great benefits, great everything. And they came to you and they said, we want to hire you for life. The CEO comes up to you, gives you a contract, you both sign, and that job is yours for life. No restrictions. It is yours. So you go to work and, you know, pretty soon the paychecks are coming in. Well, let's say you didn't do any work. You know, you might stop by the office, play a little Tetris, walk down to the cafeteria, do some crossword puzzles. And, you know, day after day, you're not really doing your work. After six months, or maybe even less, are you going to feel like you really belong there? Are you going to find joy in your work? No. Matter of fact, even though you've got great benefits, you may eventually leave. You're going to find dissatisfaction. What about the person who has this great contract and does work and works shoulder to shoulder with the rest of the people there? They're going to find joy in their work. They're going to find satisfaction in knowing that they're doing the work that they've been called to do. Likewise, while our joy comes first and foremost from the foundation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we also find joy in doing the work, the labor to which he has called us to. We have been set apart. We have been made holy. We are saints to do the work of the Lord. So, of course, the big question is, what is this work? Well, one guy came up to Jesus and said, hey, what is the work we're supposed to be doing? And Jesus said, have faith. Believe. That's a great place to start. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that is the beginning. There is also work to be done in encouraging one another in our walk with Jesus Christ. There is also the the need to share the gospel with those who do not know Jesus Christ. This is all the work which our Lord has given us to do. And as we go about this work, we will find a sense 
of satisfaction. We will find joy in our work. We're not talking about lifelong jobs in a factory, though. Brothers and sisters, we have been called to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ here on earth. We have been called to be soldiers of God. We have been given work that has eternal consequences. We have been given work that has real meaning. We have seen that our joy comes from the foundation of our gospel, Lord, from the fruit of our gospel labor. But Paul cannot help but mention the environment, the fuel in which this joy burns brightest. Our third point, we are to rejoice relentlessly because of the fuel of gospel love. Because of the fuel of gospel love. Paul understood it's impossible to have joy without love. So in verse, verses 8 and 9, he says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. We typically don't think of love in terms of knowledge and discernment. The world today teaches a love that is emotion. We talk about falling in love and falling out of love. But falling is something that's unplanned. Well, I mean, normally for me, it's unplanned. It's not something you think about doing, right? It's um, here today, gone tomorrow. It goes quickly. It reminds me of uh, one day I took my, my family for lunch to Golden Corral, and my daughter got cotton candy for her dessert. And I thought, you know, I'm going to take a chunk of this. I'm going to show her uh, how it dissolves in coffee. And I was expecting the coffee to kind of work its way up into the cotton candy, and we'd watch it dissolve. So I took this chunk of cotton candy, and I I dipped it in the coffee, and boom, it was gone. I mean, there was nothing to watch. (laughs) It was just gone. You're welcome to try that on your own. (laughs) Not right now. That's the love that we find in the world today. It's a love based upon emotion. You know, the divorce rates have been going down, and people have been very happy about that. There's less divorce today than there was 15 or 20 years ago. But what about the fact that there's more people just living together? They're just skipping getting married. Why is that? Well, it's because the person that they're living with and love today, they may not love tomorrow. The love that Paul's talking about is very different. It's a love based upon knowledge and discernment. It's a love that sees from a heavenly perspective. It's a love that looks long-term. It's a love that is sacrificial. It's a love that makes a decision. It's really, it's the love of Jesus Christ. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. While there was nothing to love about us, Christ died for us. 
That is a love from a heavenly perspective, a a love that was looking long-term, a love that was sacrificial, a love that made a decision. It is this type of love that we are called to walk in. It's the fuel that will give us joy as we go about doing the Lord's work upon that foundation of our Lord. It is this type of love that drove Paul to, to go on and love others, regardless of shipwrecks and hunger and beatings and being thrown in prison. He loved God's people and wanted to share with them from the word. He loved the lost and wanted to share with them about the Lord Jesus Christ. It is this type of love that caused John Chrysostom, a fourth century pastor, to write to his congregation these words. There is nothing I love more than you, no, not even light itself. I would gladly have my eyes put out 10,000 times over, if it, was, if it were possible, by this means to convert your souls. So much is your salvation dearer to me than light itself. Paul and John Christum, these men were not fueled by some sort of superficial love. This was love based upon knowledge and discernment, this heavenly love of Jesus Christ. We need to to be very careful, brothers and sisters. It is easy for us to be upon the foundation of our Lord Jesus Christ, to be going about his work and have a diminished love. When that happens... Our circumstances become more important than others. Our labor becomes a a weight that we carry instead of something we can do in joy. What ends up happening is we look to others and we think, I'm helping them, but really I need others to help me. We run out of steam. What do we do? How do we change that? There's only one way. We need to look to Jesus Christ. Because when we look at his love, when we look at Christ through scripture, and we see him, and we see the sacrifice that he made for us, as we see he left heaven, to come down to this filthy world, to become a man, and then to die upon the cross to take and to suffer for the consequences of my sins and for your sins, all out of love. When we see that, we stand there in awe. Wow, that's incredible love. And that is how I am to love others. We are encouraged, we're motivated to walk in that type of love. We can walk with deep daily joy, rejoicing relentlessly, only if we're upon that foundation of our gospel Lord, as we go about our gospel labor and with the fuel of gospel love. Is your life a life of joy? 
do others describe you as a person of joy? Do your neighbors look at you and think, I want to be like them? I mean, I can see since the Lord has taken a, taken a hold of them, he's changed their lives. I want to be like that person. Unfortunately, we all tend to fall victim to either letting go of our joy or having it sucked out from our lives because of our circumstances. As a result, the world does not envy us or what we have. Oliver Wendell Holmes was a respected member of the Supreme Court for 30 years, and someone asked him, why did you become a lawyer and then a judge? And this is the way he responded. He said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. They, like so many Christians, showed no joy in their lives. One popular theologian questions whether a joyless Christian is really a Christian at all. I think it's a little strong. I, I, I think we sin. We allow our circumstances to become greater than our Lord. And we need to repent. Brothers and sisters, our lives are to be lives of joy. We have been purchased, set apart, and saved by Jesus Christ, our gospel Lord. We have been given a work to do that has eternal consequences, our gospel labor. And we have been given the fuel or fire to keep this engine up and running. Gospel love. How can we have all of this and not have joy? May we walk rejoicing relentlessly regardless of the circumstances of our lives and declare to the world around us, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I will say rejoice. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, We praise you and thank you for your word, O Lord. And we pray that you would help it to penetrate our hearts, to change our lives, that we would walk in obedience to you, giving glory and honor unto your name, rejoicing as we walk in the name of our precious and dear Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.